Have you ever heard someone say as they're gritting their teeth for what they've done to me, I will never forgive that person for as long as I live. No doubt you've heard it and perhaps you've even said it yourself. But today we want to look at the subject of forgiveness as it relates to divine healing and our well-being as well as our communion with God. In Hebraic thought, it was lawful to forgive somebody three times. But in the New Testament, Jesus greatly expands the subject. The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. Here at the Jerusalem Channel, we work hard to keep you informed and up to date on prophetic end time events in the Holy Land. But we also see so many great humanitarian needs. And that's why your support is helping to keep this ministry lifting up the name of the Lord in the Middle East. One of our most recent projects was to donate and dedicate a fully equipped ambulance to Israel's National Volunteer Rescue Service. The ambulance is available to assist everyone, Jews, Muslims, Christians, and yes, even tourists who might need medical assistance. So thanks for being a part of the Jerusalem Channel by your gifts through our website or through our ministry addresses in the USA and the United Kingdom. Please help us to be a blessing to all the people of the Holy Land. Shalom, I'm Christine Dark. Today I want to say that forgiveness is an ability that God can give you. God has been so great to extend forgiveness to the world through the merits of His Son, Jesus, Yeshua. And it's been said that a person is most like God when he or she is able to forgive somebody. Being willing to extend forgiveness is the key to love and meaningful relationships. In fact, Proverbs 19.11 says that it is a person's glory to pass over a transgression. In a moment, I want to discuss some things I've learned about the Hebraic mindset on forgiveness and why Jesus' teaching was absolutely revolutionary. But first, in Matthew 5, 7, Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And if we want mercy when we're in trouble, I hope we can learn it's wise to dispense mercy to people because the principle laid down in the Bible is that we do reap whatever we sow. Jesus taught us to first be reconciled to our brothers and sisters before we even try to approach God. You see, we have to get our priorities in order. We can't commune with God and fellowship with Him, even offering up songs of praise and thanksgiving, if we have an unforgiveness issue in our hearts that will block the flow. The Bible teaches that first we forgive, then we're eligible to be forgiven. All of us are prone to sin, to pride, just a thousand and one weaknesses if we're not careful. But being able to forgive is, let's face it, 
foreign to our very nature. That is, unless we've been regenerated, unless we've been born again, and the Holy Spirit lives within us. Otherwise, we'll find it very difficult to have the strength and the grace to forgive in the first place and to forgive permanently. Our Lord and Savior has already set the best example for us. He was mistreated, slandered, scourged, spit upon, mocked, and crucified. But his first saying from the cross was what? Father, forgive them. Why? Because Jesus said, they don't know what they're doing. And there's a whole world in that statement. If they had known they were killing the Son of God, if they had known he was indeed the Messiah, the Savior of the world, they would have been horrified and mortified by their actions and accusations, but they didn't know what they were doing, neither the Jews nor the Romans. But why then did the centurion who oversaw the Lord's execution conclude at the cross, surely this was the Son of God? He was able to come to that conclusion not only because of the earthquake, the tearing of the veil in the temple, and the darkness that supernaturally descended upon the land, but also because the centurion had never seen a person like Jesus dying like that, without malice, without hatred, and without cursing his executioners. The centurion had heard Jesus being reviled, and yet he also heard Jesus comfort the repentant thief who died in the faith, telling the thief, surely this day you will be with me in paradise. And when the first Christian martyr was stoned to death four years later, also in Jerusalem, Stephen had the grace to forgive his killers on the spot. Four years after Jesus had died on the cross, Stephen was stoned to death for being his disciple. And Acts 7.60 records, Then Stephen fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And who was on the scene holding the cloaks of the stoners as Stephen died, forgiving them all? It was a rabbi named Saul of Tarsus. And who did he become? He became the mighty Apostle Paul. No doubt Paul never forgot that amazing scene of Stephen extending forgiveness to his Jewish brethren as he was being stoned to death. Stephen sank in his blood, but his place was filled by Saul of Tarsus. Thirty years after the death of Stephen, Paul also was executed for the same holy faith. Now, the commentaries on the Lord's and Stephen's deaths tell us that forgiveness is the sign of a most noble character. Forgiveness is the sign of true faith. The power of forgiveness flows only from a strength and greatness of soul that rise above the temptations of resentment. Belonging to the Lord can make you a magnanimous human being. I learned this week the origin of the word magnanimous. It comes from the Latin meaning a great soul. Generous and magnanimous minds are the most ready to forgive because they are indeed great souls. 
So let's strive to be like Jesus and Stephen. Let's strive to be great souls, holding nothing against people who have even greatly wronged us. Jesus and Stephen were murdered for baseless hatred. But the Lord said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And Stephen echoed Jesus with his own last words by praying, Lord, lay not the sin to their charge. Thus, Stephen fulfilled the Lord's words that his disciples would drink of the same cup. Forgiveness is certainly a Christian virtue. And in the ancient world, being able to forgive was considered to be almost superhuman because, in fact, it really is. We need the grace of God in our lives to give us power to forgive. Without the grace of God, we may try to forgive, but it really won't stick. Now, outside of the Bible, the best illustration I've ever heard concerning the power to forgive was from Corey Ten Boom, author of The Hiding Place, which, by the way, is also a great movie. Corey was a Christian whose entire family was arrested in 1944 in Amsterdam for hiding Jews during the Nazi occupation there. Corey's godly father, Caspar Ten Boom, had taught his children to love and protect the Jewish people. Members of the Ten Boom family are listed in Israel's Holocaust Museum, Yad Vashem, as righteous among the nations. That's an honorific title given by the State of Israel to describe non-Jews who risked their lives to save Jews from extermination during the Nazi Holocaust. Well, Corey suffered greatly in a Nazi concentration labor camp where her beloved and frail sister Betsy was whipped. Betsy was unable to hold up physically and died in Ravensbrück. But before she died, she admonished Corey not to hate. And Betsy had said, there is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. Corey's release was due to a clerical error. She was told that a week later, all the women in her age group were sent to the gas chambers. After her release, she ministered in churches around the world, including defeated Germany. She took the gospel message that God forgives, and it was the truth Germans most needed to hear. And Corey told them, when we confess our sins, God casts our sins into the deepest ocean, and they're gone forever. Solemn faces stared back at her, not quite daring to believe. People stood up in silence and left the room. But that's when Corey saw a man in a uniform approaching her. He had been a guard at the Ravensbrück concentration camp. And now he was standing in front of Corey, offering to shake her hand. It was the first time that Corey was face to face with one of her captors since her release. And now her blood seemed to freeze. Fraulein, he said, it's good to know that all of our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And he said, I was a guard in Robinsbrook, but since that time, I've become a Christian. I know God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did, but I'd like to hear it from your lips as well. Fraulein, will you forgive me? And again, he extended his hand. Corey wrote that only seconds went by, but to her it seemed like hours. 
in her heart. She knew the Bible teaches that she had to forgive him because Jesus said, if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. She also knew this truth from daily experience because she had seen that people who still nurse bitterness after the war often remained as invalids. Still, momentarily, she stood frozen, but she knew that forgiveness is not an emotion. In fact, forgiveness is an act of the will. And if this is the only thing you hear today, listen up. The will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Sometimes we just have to choose to forgive, as it were, in cold blood. We can forgive as an act of our will without emotion. So Curry prayed silently, Jesus, help me. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. I'll trust you to supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, Corey put her hand into the man's outstretched hand. And as she did, exercising her own free will to forgive, an amazing current like electricity struck her arm. A current of God's love started in her shoulder, raced down her arm, and sprang into their joined hands. A healing warmth flooded Corey's entire being, bringing tears to her eyes. I forgive you, brother, she cried. I forgive you with all of my heart. Corey testified that she had never known God's love so intensely as she did then in that moment. And in the New Testament, in Romans 5, 5, in a verse which describes the dynamic of why she was able to forgive the guard and shake his hand, we read that that verse says, and hope does not put us to shame because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which is given unto us. You see, it was the Holy Spirit acting within her as a born-again believer who enabled her to do what she thought she couldn't do. And towards the end of her life, Corey Ten Boone also said one thing she had learned is that good feelings and behavior cannot be stored up. Rather, we must simply draw good behavior daily, fresh from God every day. And to me, that's a very liberating thought. That means it's God's power in us, not ourselves. Because of our own selves, we can't conjure up good feelings and actions, but we can trust the Holy One who lives inside of us to supply appropriate attitudes and actions whenever we need them. I think this is also an important teaching. King David said to the Lord in Psalm 51.4, Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. Now, what did David mean by that? Didn't he sin also against others? But David knew that many sins are committed in secret, but every sin that we've ever committed has been sinned in the face of God. The Lord sees it all. He sees everything, but he's also willing to forgive. Based upon the fact that we have received the forgiveness of God through Messiah's atonement, we are to offer forgiveness to others. We must forgive one another, even as Messiah forgave us our sins. Then healing and vitality can 
flow to our souls and our bodies. Now, I love this, and it's a joy to share this revelation with you today. The greatest healing in the world will come to Israel through the power of forgiveness. And I live to see this day come to pass. Because it's written in the book of Genesis that the brothers of the patriarch Joseph threw him into a pit and sold him into slavery. Joseph ended up a slave in Egypt, but he arose to become the governor of Egypt. However, Joseph forgave the baseless hatred of his brothers, just as Jesus forgave the baseless hatred of his brethren. We see this in Genesis 50, 20. Joseph said to his brothers when they were reunited many years later in Egypt, you intended evil to harm me, but God meant it all for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And so Joseph comforted his brothers who felt so guilty, and he spoke kindly unto them. And that is the most prophetic picture concerning Jesus and his Jewish brothers that will come to pass in the future. Upon his return to Jerusalem and being reunited with his brethren in the future, Jesus will say to them, You planned evil against me, but God planned it for good, to bring about the salvation of many souls from the nations. And Jesus will also comfort them and speak kindly unto them. In fact, Zechariah 13 verse 6 prophesies, and I'm going to share phrases from the literal translation of that verse. And they, the Jewish people, will ask him, what are these wounds in your hands? And he will answer, because I was smitten at home by my lovers. The Septuagint version of the Bible renders the meaning of the phrase, the wounds with which I was struck in my beloved house. The most literal interpretation of the wounds in the Lord's hands harmonizes with the piercing and the smiting of the Good Shepherd that was also prophesied in the book of Zechariah as well as in the Psalms where David too prophesied in Psalm 22 and verse 16, they pierced my hands and my feet. The Holy Spirit in the book of Zechariah alludes indirectly to Messiah, the antitype, who was wounded by those whom he came to befriend. They ought to have been his friends, his lovers, who were his kinsmen, of whom he came according to the flesh, but they instead wounded him and through the agency of the Romans. So the Lord Jesus will continue magnanimous talk to the Jewish nation in the future. He forgave everybody at the cross, and he will continue to release forgiveness to Israel at the second coming when he speaks kindly to them. The Lord will say that he was wounded. These wounds in my body I received in the house of my beloved friends. Now the Hebrew word for friends or lovers is Strong's number 157, which can mean beloved friend, but it's also used most often in the Bible, meaning loved or lovers. So we're talking about forgiveness today as being a glory of a man. It is one of the most highest and most noble human virtues. 
show me an honorable person with real character and there'll be a person who can forgive. On the other hand, a person who's afflicted with bitterness is sick in their soul and bitterness, unforgiveness will manifest in their bodies as well. In the healing ministry, we always ask people to forgive others before they hope to receive healing from the Lord. We just have to learn to be willing to forgive because we all need it ourselves from time to time. And we all need healing on a regular basis in this dangerous and fallen world. Now here is an Hebraic teaching that I've learned. Is there a limit on forgiveness? In the Gospels, the Apostle Peter is characterized as being very outspoken, sometimes volatile, and definitely an outgoing personality who had no doubt engaged in many heated discussions and arguments. And so, out of his own experience, Peter asked the Lord, How often do I have to forgive my brother when he sins against me? Notice the question. It wasn't how often he, Peter, could be forgiven, but how often he had to forgive somebody. And then, Thinking he would sound very magnanimous to the Lord, he asked Jesus, How about seven times? But Jesus' answer in Matthew 18.22 was truly shocking. Jesus answered Peter, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. Do the math. That's 490 times, which is an idiom for infinity. Now, to forgive seven times was a stretch in Peter's day, and if truth be told, most persons find it hard to grit their teeth and forgive one time. So Peter was patting himself on the back, thinking he was being generous, and he wanted to show the Lord that he'd learned a thing or two by being his disciple. In my studies, I learned that Jewish tradition says you may forgive a person three times based upon verses in the Hebrew scriptures, such as Amos chapter 1 and verse 3, where thus saith the Lord for three transgressions, it says, of Damascus, and for four, I will not turn away its punishment. And other verses in this chapter repeat the formula, thus saith the Lord for three transgressions of Gaza, and for three transgressions of Tyre, and of Edom, and of the children of Ammon, and so forth. I will not turn away its punishment. What is the meaning of this Hebraic expression? Well, the rabbis concluded that three times you could be forgiven, but on the fourth offense, God's divine judgment fell. So that was it after three times. Rabbi Joseph ben Hanina said, He who begs forgiveness from his neighbor must not do so more than three times. And Rabbi Joseph ben Yehuda also said, If a man commits an offense once, he's to be forgiven. If he commits an offense the second time, he can be forgiven. If he commits an offense the third time, he can still be forgiven. But on the fourth offense, the offended party does not have to forgive him. So I heard a man of God explain that Peter was really going beyond his own tradition and had, in fact, advanced beyond the men of his own nation. But Jesus was about to teach Peter that he still did not understand the depths of the grace of God. So Jesus answered, I say unto you, 70 times seven. 
That must have blown Peter away. Jesus also did a play on words by saying 70 times 7. This is an expression meaning limitless forgiveness. As Jesus also taught in Luke 17, 3, Watch yourselves, he said. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Even if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times returns to say, I repent, you must forgive him. Well, my friends, you know that it is only the grace of God that would enable us to live by this. Forgiveness releases healing, a subject that's often neglected in the churches. Information and verses concerning healing are spread throughout the Bible, so it's a subject that must be thoroughly searched out. And although there are many healing verses, it still takes the spirit of revelation to illuminate these verses to our minds and spirits so that we really believe them and can appropriate these verses by faith. God healed me dramatically as a child, but it's taken a lifetime of study to grasp and to teach God's message of bodily and mental healing. And I'll never exhaust the depths of the subject. That's because in the spirit, we are always progressing from faith to faith, from strength to strength, and from victory to victory. Let's listen to the Lord's teaching in Matthew 25. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed in my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when were you a stranger and we invited you in? Or when did we clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to help you? And the king will answer and say to them, Truly, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Amen. It's my prayer that the Lord will give us the heart of forgiveness so that every wound is healed. Let's pray to ask the Lord to make us compassionate, forgiving people who refuse to nurse grudges. As I sometimes do in my meetings, I want to invite you now in the quietness of your hearts to mention to the Lord a person that has been hard to forgive, but tell God you would like to be like him and to forgive that person. You can whisper the person, or maybe there's more than one person. You can whisper all of their names to him and just say, Lord, I forgive that person or persons in Jesus' name. Amen. When we take care of forgiveness, then God keeps the channel of his own blessings and forgiveness flowing towards us. And in the meantime, for your further spiritual growth and edification, I want to draw your attention to our website, exploits.tv, bringing you news on current and end-time events relating not only to the church, but also to the nation of Israel. At our website and our Jerusalem Channel YouTube site, 
You can watch for free a library of more than 400 videos. We also invite you to sign up for our free electronic magazine called Exploits, based upon Daniel 1132, which declares the people who know their God will be strong, not weak. And we're going to accomplish exploits, meaning doing the works of the Lord in the remaining time before His imminent return. I want you to feel free to share your thoughts with me on the social media, and please explore all the free content on our Jerusalem Channel mobile app. Now today, I want to leave you with Jesus' monumental statement about forgiveness. Because remember, if we refuse to forgive, we can't receive forgiveness. Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty five, And when you stand praying, forgive, if you have anything against anybody, so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. And so until next time, I'll always be contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. I'm Christine Dark. Shalom and Maranatha.